truths about the kingdom. And this specific parable that we just read is known as the parable of the unforgiving servant. Jesus is using this parable to talk about a kind of forgiveness that marks the kingdom of God, the king of the kingdom, and its citizens. If you're a close reader of your Bible, you'll notice that this parable begins with a very stark question. It says, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother and sister who sins against me? As many as seven times. It's Peter who's asking this, one of Jesus' closer disciples. And if you notice, he, he's not asking it in order to actually fulfill what might need to be done. It, it's a question of desire. It, it's a matter of, Lord, how many times do I have to do this? And Jesus' response to that desire of wanting to get the quantity out of the way, of wanting to get the checklist done. His response to this kind of wanting to do forgiveness is not a kind of, here's how many times, but a matter of quality. You see, Peter is asking Jesus, what do I need to do to get from you? Or how many times do I just have to get it done so it can be done? Jesus will not answer a question like this to just settle the room. He's going to answer with a matter of quality because this is about the reality of God's kingdom. What Jesus teaches Peter and the other disciples about forgiveness is meant to be yet another characteristic of those who are part of the kingdom of God. And with that in mind, we need to focus on what Jesus says. So if you're a note taker, the main idea of today's sermon is this, forgiven people forgive. The main idea is that forgiven people forgive. We learn this from Jesus' parable in three ways. We see it this way. We see the servant's debt and the acknowledgement of his need. That's verses 22 to 26. We see the mercy of the king and the weight of the debt removed. And that's verse 27. And we see the arrogance and consequence of unforgiveness in verses 28 to 35, the last section of this chapter. So first, let's look at the servant's debt and the acknowledgement of his need. Verses 22 to 26 tell us that the king had approached the servant with the amount of his debt. And he was expecting a full payment that day to settle the account. The only problem is the amount of debt that the servant owed. Now, I don't know about you guys, all right? Like, I've got some student loan debt, okay? Like, we have a car that we pay payments on. But the level of debt, like, if you're a close reader of your Bible, I don't know if you guys have this, but you guys have notes in your Bible that kind of tell you what some of the terms are for money. Like, the level of debt that this servant had was worth 21 years' wage. This man owed 10,000 talents. And he, I mean, I don't know about you, but if somebody rolled up on me and asked me, hey, you got 21 years? I'd be like, mm, you checked Wells Fargo? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have it. <laughs> um, this king is looking for a full payment. This servant comes up empty-handed, and the king's idea of getting this paid is this. You get sold, 
your wife gets sold, your children get sold, and everything you own, sold until you pay me back. And guys, he's the king. That's the just sentence for the collection of debt for this account to be settled. That is the king's solution. This brings us to our first point today, that coming face to face with our debt is overwhelming because we realize that it's always too much for us to afford. You know how people attempt to comfort you with the phrase, God will never give you more than you can handle? I don't know which God they're talking about. It's probably not the God of the Bible. You see, the Bible does not tell a story about how God gives a burden a free life, a burden-free life. But rather, it tells a story of people who bring a great burden upon themselves, kind of like the servant. They find themselves helpless to fix the chaos they put themselves in, and God shows up in the midst of their mess and makes all things new and right. In fact, Jesus is teaching this parable specifically to point to himself. Jesus is God. He's the sovereign Lord of the world, as John makes very clear in his gospel. And when we're met with the weight of our sin debt, Jesus is the one who steps into the midst of the mess to reconcile the debt for us. This servant collected 21 years worth of working debt. And he's not solving that problem on his own. He needs a mediator. He needs a solution. Those of us in this room who are Christians, we needed a solution. We needed a mediator. We needed a new way. And we found that in Jesus. Some of us in this room were not Christians. And you still need a way to pay the debt. But even for those of us in this room who are Christians... Do we still find ourselves holding the weight of that debt? When met with the weight of our sin debt, we bring nothing to the table. We have nothing that's a sufficient offering to reconcile ourselves to God. I want you to ask yourself a question. Do you live your life according to God's standard, of your standard of righteousness or God's? like the unforgiving servant who needs a new option, do you remember that it was by grace that you were saved? Do you remember that your debt was paid for you? Or are you still looking to yourself to do that? Jesus comes in. He atones for all of our sin and shame with his very life. Just like the servant we're unable to pay that cost. And our sin has created such a vast gap between us and God. For those of us in this room, we shouldn't be left wondering who closed the gap. Jesus has paid it. And this servant is left wondering who's bridging the gap. Who can pay such a great cost? In verse 27, we find our answer. It's after the servant begged for patience of the king. 
He promised to pay back everything. And the response of the king is completely otherworldly in terms of a response you and I might give to someone who is greatly in our debt. The text says that the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. What an amazing act of graciousness from the king. And here's what's interesting. Jesus didn't tell us this part of the story for shock factor. And this isn't a roundabout way for Jesus to encourage just a simple, moral, better behavior. Jesus is actually telling this story as a means of showing us what he's like as king of the kingdom. Jesus reveals God since he is the only one from the Father and is the word that was in the beginning that spoke everything into being. Jesus is telling us about God's character when he makes this point. So here's a second point for you. God met our sinful debt with compassion and forgiveness. The text says that the master set the servant free. And for some of us in this room, that's really hard. And that's hard on on two accounts. One, there are a lot of us in this room that have a hard time of letting go of past guilt and shame. Whether it's the sin you lived in before you became a Christian, or maybe the sin that still has its grip on you now, or maybe the sin that you've had more victory than lo- or you've had more losses than victory. Actually, another way in which you might need to be set free, Pastor Aaron alluded to this last week, maybe you think you're good. Maybe actually you think you're okay where you are. Pride can be just as enslaving. And shame is very enslaving. Conviction from the Holy Spirit and the shame of the world and the consequences of the works of our flesh are not the same thing. Jesus set, or the master set the servant free. Jesus set us free from our sin. Here's another struggle of freedom that you and I might experience. We struggle to set other people free in our own forgiveness of them. Like you might be holding on to a past circumstance and a past hurt from somebody else or maybe from a group of people. And don't worry, today God has an answer for that for you. But if you haven't experienced the freedom of letting other people go and of letting other circumstances go, you're just as enslaved. The good news is this, because the master set the servant free, he doesn't belong to his debt anymore. His life is debt-free, and he's allowed to live freely in light of that reality. I'll tell it to you a way that the Apostle Paul said it. He said it this way. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. Just as the servant was forgiven his great debt and given freedom to live a new life, us who have believed in Jesus, we're debt-free in Christ. It doesn't matter what it is. 
Your lust is not enough to no longer be debt-free. Your anger is not enough to no longer be debt-free. Even injustice is not enough to to no longer be debt-free. It does not matter what it is. There are so many times in the scriptures that that God's people exclaim wonderful praises about the fact that God has just never left them. There is not enough that you could do. The scriptures even say that there is no divine power that can stop you. Like like angels, it doesn't matter. Like nothing can separate you from the love of God. The debt free was purchased by Jesus, not you. This is what God's forgiveness has afforded us who are in Christ. Knowing that, Do you hold on to it? Are you clinging to the hope you have in Christ? Or do you find it easy to depend on Christ for your righteousness? Or do you find it difficult to depend on Christ for your righteousness? That's a question we have to ask and answer for ourselves, church. If we depend on anything else other than Christ for our righteousness... Can we really come here on Sunday and sing songs like In Christ Alone when you know when you leave these doors it's actually going to be in money alone? It's actually going to be in my friend's opinion alone? It's actually going to be in the secret thing that I'm holding on to alone? Church, we're a people of grace. And sometimes we forget that. This calls us back to a reminder of our former slavery to sin. And now we have a newfound freedom. We see this in the life of this servant. The servant was fully forgiven by the king. His debt is paid. He brings nothing to the table, y'all. You and I did not bring anything to the table, probably other than the mess that our lives were in before meeting Jesus. Is that what we're holding on to, or are we still holding on to our own works and our own selves? Let me ask you this, in doing that, when we see other people holding on to something that's not Jesus, how do we actually act? What do our lives say? How do we as free people display that freedom, and do we always display that freedom? The life of the servant seems to tell us that sometimes we don't. The text says this, that he went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him. Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. And as incredibly shocking as this is, 
and how indignant it should make every single one of us. The grace that was shown this servant. And then he goes out and does that. Here's an even more difficult reality. You and I probably are no different in many ways. Just like this unforgiving servant, we want our due. No questions asked. The king wanted this first from the servant. But his response was drastically different. And he showed radical kindness and forgiveness. And the servant didn't operate in a character that was like that. Church, we, we claim to be citizens of the kingdom of God. We claim to be a localized picture of heaven on earth. Which means if you walk out these doors and express that to people, they're looking to see what the king of this kingdom is like. And when we choose to want our due over hoping in the fact that our due is paid, that our debt is paid, we don't just look like hypocrites. We look like the world around us. We do not look like followers of Jesus. And that's costly, church. Here's how costly it is. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then, after the master had summoned him, the master said, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. And then Jesus says this, So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Those are hard words. The parable of the unforgiving servant, it's not a story of moral betterment. Forgiveness like this comes for being forgiven. Our last point is a reminder of our main idea, but it has an important add-on. Forgiven people forgive, and to do otherwise is arrogant. I want to read to you real quick uh, what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, the first 10 verses. They're really important. They're a reminder of the debt that was paid for us as Christians and how we operate. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10 says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now at work in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive 
with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Church, knowing this, how can you be like this unforgiving servant? Since this is about the kingdom of God, we're talking about the context of our local church here. We're talking about the context of other Christians throughout our city, throughout the world. How can you be unforgiving? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is not so flippant that it could be turned away simply to deal with your unforgiveness that might be petty or maybe even deeply rooted. And if it is deeply rooted, we might need to ask a question about how deep is grace rooted then? How deep has the gospel been rooted then? Listen to me when I say this. We are not the ones ruling the kingdom. God is. And we are citizens for him. We were brought into this kingdom by his forgiveness. We were made alive by his mercy. And it was Jesus, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, that gave us our inheritance. Are we really then going to look at another brother or sister who offends us, sins against us, or harms us, and not obey what Jesus is teaching in this parable? It's the very reconciliation that brought us together as one body in the first place. We were all invited to this table the same way. And guys, when Jesus comes back, we're all going to enter into the new heavens and the new earth the same way. By grace, through faith. Do we really want to be caught in unforgiveness? It's more than just saying, I forgive you. It's a releasing of the debt you are owed and trusting God to make all things right according to his will. You're walking in the freedom given to you by the Lord. For you to forgive is just as freeing as for the person you are forgiving. Jesus even says that God punishes those who are holding on to unforgiveness. And that's a deep image, a very scary image that we see when we see the servant's punishment. It's a hard teaching from our Lord, but we must take it seriously because grace is not, to be, uh, is not to be abused or presumed upon. Before we leave here today, I want to leave you with two questions. They're questions that probably arose in your heart as you were reading this parable because you know that forgiveness is hard. What are you holding on to that has led to unforgiveness in your heart in the first place? And I ask this question because, guys, as we can see, our king is a king who is just. If you need a reminder of the justice of the Lord that will come on behalf of any hurt 
that has come from a person that you've been struggling to forgive, read Psalm chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11. Justice really does belong to the Lord. But the God who forgave your great trespasses and the sins that had you enslaved and apart from him, for you to hold unforgiveness is not your role. He's called you to walk in freedom. And then a second question. Who does that bring to mind when you ask the question about what's led to unforgiveness? And will you forgive them today, knowing what Jesus has told you today about unforgiveness? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you have given us a great inheritance in Christ Jesus. You have forgiven us of all our sin, of all of our shame. You've held nothing against us because of the sacrifice of your son. You've given us so much freedom. Lord, would you help us to walk in that today, even if forgiveness is hard? Would you help us to forgive, realizing, Lord, that you are the one who handles justice on our behalf? We do not have to seek vengeance. Rather, Lord, you have called us to be a people of radical forgiveness and mercy. Help us to realize, Lord, that as forgiven people, we forgive. It's in the name of Jesus. I pray all of these things. And God's people said, amen.